0: Again, head on over to FreedadCourse.com, get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design.
1: We need to be more in the business of putting ourselves out of business, and we need to plant the seeds in them that can grow. If we know so much, if we're so smart, we better be giving it away.
0: Dory one, this is Team Delta, Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Cloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, a husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Episode 77 of Military Veteran Dad Today's episode with Greg is going to be amazing, but first, I just want to brag on the weather. Up here in Wisconsin, it's still just amazing. I know I talked about it on Friday, but I want to talk about it again because I was outside this morning playing catch with my son. We went on a bike ride with my daughters. I am just really loving life outside, and guess what? At the time of this recording, it is a day after 75. I have made it to day 76, and it feels amazing to be at the end of this journey. It feels amazing. Almost incredible to think that I've done it for 75 days, because other than boot camp and the four-year commitment in the military, that's probably the longest commitment that I've really done and completed. And so it just feels really freeing to be on the other side. If you want to know my top five takeaways of 75 hard that I just completed, go check out last week's Fatherhood Friday, because I dropped those five takeaways. But let's get started talking about This week's episode with Greg. So Greg is a former Green Beret, and his story just rocks you to the core of what he's gone through. He's got a book called Conquer Everything, and he takes all of his battle-hardened leadership and brings it and applies it in a way that businesses can understand it. He has a depth of way to understand things of how to just break things down and understand how you can deliver them in a nice, easy way. We had a great conversation. We talked about how he had to redefine himself and what that identity transition looked like because he he was also leading his son. He was the single father leading his son, trying to figure out how to be his dad and all the things that go with being dad. At the same time, you're trying to redefine your identity. You're on the way of transitioning out of the army, ending your career, and trying to start a new one. Greg's story, I know, is going to rock you to the core, and I know it's going to help you come home because it helped me come home. And it just helps you understand the gift and the power of being dad. And I love his advice at the end of this episode, which is just be nice. That That's one of the best ways a dad can serve his kids and anyone else in his community is just show up and be dad. So with that, let's get started with this week's episode with Greg Stubbe. And I'll talk to you again on the other side. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hi, Ben. How you doing? Never been better. I'm excited for this conversation. Go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and a little bit what your family looks like right now, because your family is not the family that we often hear about in the story, but I know there's dads out there listening that your story could move a mountain for them. So go ahead and unpack that a little bit for us.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm Greg Stuby. I was in the Army from 1988 uh, to 2011. I was in the infantry for four years and then And I crossed over into the Special Forces. I became a a Special Forces medical sergeant. And you can imagine uh, there was a bit of conflict uh, during those years. Um, I wound up getting wounded on my last mission before retirement. And then uh, that kept me in a little longer than I thought because I had over a year of hospitalization to go through. Uh, And I think getting wounded. Um, and I was wounded real bad. Uh, it was real bad. And I know there are worse, um, but I just hadn't prepared. Uh, I guess I was always ready to be killed. I knew that was a part of the program.
0: You signed up for Lieutenant Dan.
1: <laughs> right. I wasn't prepared to, to live in a lesser functioning status. and And that's something that it just really knocked me for a loop. And I had to learn who I was all over again. And the things that I thought were making me tough through those years in Special Forces, they all went away instantly. And the only things that that could keep me strong now were the things I hadn't prepared. They were spiritual, psychological, emotional. And those were the things that 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 weren't as resilient as I thought
0: and it's the fight inside your the uh, fight inside your head between your two ears that's often the the next psychological war when you think you have it all together and that's the version of yourself you tell yourself every day to get through and then when that version shatters like a piece of glass you really have to work to rebuild that image from the ground up inside your head yeah yeah and that's a new place for people who
1: think they're tough yeah I think that there's two kinds of people in, in my world now. There's people who think they're tough, and then there's the people who've been tested, uh, and we know better.
0: So before we hit record, you were telling me that you are divorced from your marriage. You are a single dad raising your 14-year-old son. What's the difference between the, the Greg Stubbe before your, your accident and after as a dad? So how did you show up as a dad before, and how did that change you after?
1: Well, as a dad before, I took it for granted that I could... To step out into the yard and throw the ball with my son and uh, and teach him by doing, not by telling him how to do it. Um, but then when I was in a wheelchair, I um, had to reconsider what it would take to do anything with him. And, and, and I had to do a lot of work. Um, um, my rehab, I made it more difficult on myself. It was more like a difficult Army training school. Um, uh, because I knew that I'd never be happy if I didn't redevelop capabilities that would allow me to be the kind of dad I wanted to be. Uh, and I never got everything back, but I worked hard for that.
0: When you think of retraining yourself to be the dad, you mentioned the word happy there. How would you have defined happy before? Happy before? You know, that's a funny question. Uh, what is happy?
1: Uh, and to me, uneventful was happy.
0: Uh, you know, you're in special forces where like events happen that are always unplanned. Like the idea that happiness exists in an uneventful world is almost like an oxymoron with what you set yourself up for <laughs> when to feel happy with.
1: I know. I know. And then, but a lot of us, you know, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of uh, what we train for and what we go through, the things we do in other places. We cakewalk when we get back home right Uh, we can do that over there all this stuff should be easy and and we really get angry inside when it's not easy when it's not uneventful at home and that is something to manage so what you talk about that dichotomy there i don't know if it's a dichotomy but it's a it's a phenomenon where
0: yeah It's a psychological phenomenon that we tell ourselves that that we have to achieve an X state to be happy when the way we live our life currently doesn't actually align with what we define success or happiness as.
1: Right. Because everything should be easy after that, right? But it's and some of this stuff is more challenging than that.
0: And I didn't serve in Iraq or Afghanistan, but I can imagine a lot of that time sitting over there is that this sucks and when I get back, it has to be better. And I think telling yourself that, that part to stay alive, because that's something I think we all probably would tell ourselves in that environment to stay alive. That lie at the same time is also part of what we struggle with when we come back, because it's not easy. We tell ourselves that the struggle stops when we get out of war. But for those that aren't have never been to war, like myself or anybody that's not served, There's always struggle, like the struggle is part of life. And when we tell ourselves a lie that the struggle should end at some point, then we really just died. We're six feet under when the struggle ends. And anything else other than that is just a lie It's it's to try to a horse and a carrot, that the carrot is your lie that you keep telling yourself that you'll eventually get to a state when part of the struggle of life is embracing it and living through it and growing through it at the same time.
1: Yeah. And I, I feel fortunate because I never, I never felt like it sucked when I was doing any mission stuff, any of the work that I did overseas. I, uh, I always leaned into it, steered into it. But the what created issues for me was having rose colored glasses on when I looked back, back across the ocean at home. Because I, when I look back at it, I never remembered that there were difficult times at home. It's always good at home. Has, is, Good will be great. Um, and those rose-colored glasses set me up for some real challenges because it's not.
0: Uh, being it's, home was like a warm chocolate chip cookie. Like, what's, what could go wrong with a warm chocolate chip cookie? Absolutely. And then the human dynamics of getting along
1: with other people um, and being able to ratchet down. And I think a lot of PTSD is coming from uh, a lot of what is considered to be PTSD. It is just simply human challenges of uh, being in the military and, and, and being trained and working personally and professionally to turn the switch on to handle such extreme things in an environment where even the little things can get you killed and then failing to turn that switch back off. Not knowing how
0: sometimes. And then and they spend six months getting that switched nice and primed so that you can turn it on. And they give you five days to turn it off.
1: Or, or 23 years, in summary, have to switch fully on. Uh, and, then, and then the expectations you put on people around you, um, it, you can even treat people like they're stupid because they don't care about these little things and they don't realize it'll get them killed
0: that's one of my favorite leadership lessons I repeat often uh, in business that you don't die in the battlefield because you miss the big things. You die in the battlefield because you miss the small things. And how many times in business do you fail because you forgot to pay attention to the little things and you got so caught up on the big things and creating the big things. But, and even in kids, like it's the same kind of concept. Like kids don't feel love because you give them the big things they want. They feel love when you give them the little things. Like, I just sat in the couch playing with my daughter before interviewing now, and it was just something simple and stupid. But to her, it was the world. Like it was something very little to me, and that's really what made the biggest change in her life.
1: Right, and and so I find uh, with my behavior, if I'm getting too meticulous about something for a given scenario, and people around me are like, "Dude, what's wrong with you?" Uh, instead of acting like they're stupid and they don't know, and and creating. Uh, more intensity than the situation calls for. I just try to gently make them aware. I've found it to be helpful because over there, it was more serious. I know it may may not be a showstopper, but it can make things go smoother if I pay attention to it
0: now. And you're speaking to something like, within the military, we all speak the same language and we all understand the same definitions of core terms. But when you transition out, you often forget that people don't speak the same language and don't have the same definitions and standards that you do. Like a simple one is for my daughter who's eight years old. Like it was like maybe six months ago, I was listening to a Navy SEAL give this idea about communication and language and how they're trained to communicate and use the same language at the same time. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I've ever explained the word responsibility to my youngest or my oldest, even though I tell her that she's not being responsible all the time. I've never clearly defined it and provided good examples. I just assume she has the same definition as me, but like, the fuck am I to say that she has the same definition I'm 35 and she's eight like it's just stupid for me to assume that like we have different languages and same thing for civilians like just because they don't know doesn't mean they can't understand if you help them understand the language that you're speaking and to assume otherwise is just ignorant almost
1: right and they're not required to know these things and, and, and but sometimes we require them uh, pretty soon we're right about everything and they're wrong about everything and we can be right, but we can be alone <laughs> and wind up alone for insisting on that. And, and, and I found um, becoming a single dad, a sole custody situation um, at an age where he kind of needed his mom. Uh, it was that age where he wanted mom because I was more of a disciplinary picture in his mind. And she was more of a comforting picture. Mm-hmm. Mind.
0: She, felt them, she let him feel safe.
1: Right. And so the dynamics we're talking about in general about people, it really is tenfold um, a concentrated issue for me as a dad uh, to learn to turn that switch off some and not create expectations for him to possibly live up to.
0: Let's maybe rewind for a second. So... We're unpacking a lot here with your service, how you transitioned into being a dad, how you transitioned after the accident from going into a wheelchair. What was Greg looking for when he joined the army? Like what was that desire that you wanted to achieve in your life when you put on the uniform? Because I can imagine part of that grew and then part of that was part of the difficulty when you had to take it off and completely transform who you are. And it really started with your first transition when you put the uniform on.
1: Okay. Now, uh, I'm inviting anyone who wants to laugh at me to do it now uh, because there is no doubt that I wanted to be Rambo himself. (laughs) (laughs) There's no question. And then, and then after years in special forces, I'm not going to lie. After that, I wanted to be Jason Bourne.
0: (laughs) You just kept leveling up your game or your ideal image of yourself. That's what I wanted. I was going after it and I did
1: everything. Uh, to make that happen, but then I got wounded, and so my second career uh, in an agency didn't didn't pan out. I'm not physically qualified anymore.
0: So who do you who are you trying to aspire to be now? Uh, I'm aspiring to be me. Um, well said. Well said. I commend you for, for recognizing that the next person you admire and, and grow into is more of Greg Suvi.
1: Yeah, I just uh, if I don't. If I don't buckle down and recognize my own limitations, and and just try to be a better example, make better decisions, then I could never fault my son for being an equal
0: jerk. <laughs> yeah, and the problem when people say, like I've interviewed uh, Marines that have taken their own life, and th- people describe that person as having like a Hulk size ego, and when you have those like. Hulk size egos or those personas like Rambo outside yourself, you become so scared of what's really on the inside that you just live this alter ego and you just keep all of what's on the inside in the shadows. And that can be exhausting. That can be hurtful to the people around you. And that creates you an in- inauthentic person, which also pushes people away.
1: Yeah. it. You know, I was watching, uh, I, I don't even know what channel it was on. It was, a, it was an Elvis Presley. Special, and and he was in the army, right? And well, they were interviewing him. Yeah, he was drafted, and he went in the army. And um, in his interview, he said, he said, um, an image is one thing, but a human is another. Uh, he said, he said, I'm human, and it sure is hard to live up to an image and uh and i think that's what we get ourselves into it's a trap when we see an image that isn't realistic and uh and we don't confess our limitations we don't admit that we're full of mistakes and oversights and failures and failure is not an option that's what we like to say yeah well it's kind of like I the
0: agree. facebook filter you see the perfect family in facebook your mind interprets that because your eyes saw it it addresses a feeling like, oh, that feeling is something I desire. So it takes that lens of that image and tries to apply it on your life. And the cookie doesn't fit and it doesn't fit through the round hole. And you then feel broken on the inside. And if you keep continuing to try to apply those alter images on yourself, each one will, you'll lose more of yourself in that process. And that's what makes you scared to try to be a good dad because you really don't know who you are. And it's very uncomfortable when you try because everything you've applied is just someone else's image or someone else's expectations, or maybe your mom and dad's growing up. Maybe it's like the cliche joke, like, uh, my family's a bunch of doctors. So I had to become a doctor. That was someone else's image. And those always usually end up bad because that kid didn't want to, but he was following what he thought he had to. All of those lead to that. Not knowing who you are on the inside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: Uh, And I see a really big problem when we, and and
1: any of these problems I'm talking about, chief offender, I'm guilty as charged. Um, And when we try to act with our children, like we're never wrong, like we don't make mistakes because we're so smart and we're so experienced and we're the adult, that's a falsehood that you can never live up to. And there's going to come a day where they're going to look at you and the mystique is going to be gone. Um, and trying to fill that space with something real is difficult.
0: Yeah, and they're going to grow up and see life in their own view. And then you the last thing you want them to do is to look backwards and be like, dad was so full of bullshit that that wasn't how it worked. That wasn't any of it. And he wasn't always right. And like admitting you're wrong, like I apologize to my kids regularly if I yell or I upset them or if I upset myself or I don't handle it correctly because that forgiveness and humanness of processing of forgiveness with them, I I have no idea how that transforms from a kid to an adult and makes them a better adult. But I I know that it's some cornerstone in a building. I have yet to see how it gets built. But I know that that's a cornerstone I want there. And I correlate
1: parenting, good parenting to good leadership. Uh, It's the humility of understanding I have this responsibility, now I want to do well, instead of approaching it from the perspective that I'm the one who knows. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, self-improvement.
0: So let me ask you a question. I have like to always try to remind dads that life is continuing to happen for us, not to us, even though in the moment everything feels like this is, pity me, poor me, that I am feel sorry for myself. How do you think going into a wheelchair has given you a gift that you could not, couldn't have gotten in any other way than going into a wheelchair? Like, what do you think is one of your, your biggest takeaways from the view from sitting down all day?
1: Uh, for me, uh, two questions had to be answered, or maybe three, or, or a lot had to be answered. But primarily, number one, uh, was I a victim? Or was I simply a volunteer, uh, which disqualifies a person from being a victim? Um, if you volunteer you're the same set of circumstances that were happening to other people at the time, being wounded and killed, if they're the right thing to do when you raise your hand and swear in, they shouldn't cease to be the right thing to do just because it's you that's getting hurt now. Uh, two, two um, wounded warrior. Didn't know how to be that. I, I could either be wounded or I could be a war, warrior, and I couldn't be both. And, and wounded—that um, should never be an acceptable identity for a human being. And it only evokes sympathy. And my dad told me where to find sympathy. It's in the dictionary between shit and syphilis.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm never gonna get it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that was the only place I could ever get it for sure. Uh, so so then, um, so then here it comes. This is, I think, this is the takeaway for me that I learned from being put in a wheelchair. Um, if I focused on my disabilities, there was not going to be any sunlight again. Um, but focusing on my capabilities, wow, the things I could do. I remember being in the hospital, and a couple of my buddies came to visit me from Fort Bragg. And, and they had gone for a 10 mile run at lunch, you know, stupid people, that kind of stuff. <laughs> they come back in wearing the ranger panties and and singlets. They're like the boys of summer, glistening with sweat. And they're just like laughing and joking, coming down the hallway. I can't even see them yet, but I know it's them. When they come around the corner, it's on me in a wheelchair. And they were physically elbowing each other. Shh, 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 it's great, man. It's Greg. And I in that moment they couldn't be happy they couldn't feel joy they they restricted themselves from joy in order to entertain my misery and so in that moment if i allowed that sympathy to prevail or evoked further sympathy then nobody could be happy
0: yeah it, it, it i can i can i've never really thought of it like that but it's I can see it being a way where you pull people down to your level instead of rising up to theirs and rising even above it or helping them rise to a new level, even though you're from a different view.
1: Yeah. So for me, um, we can, I guess it's a glass half full versus half empty. Um, But for me that day, I'm like, no guys be happy. Just because I can't run right now doesn't mean it. Anything that that was the first day that I could get myself from the bed to the wheelchair by myself. That meant I could get my own popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was great. And so these victories we have every day, if we can look at the bright side, count our blessings. Yes, things are going to be wrong. It's how we manage them that makes the difference. And that's with fear uh, and anything else that can be a detractor in our lives.
0: So how, how many years have you been in a wheelchair? Oh, I'm not in one now. Okay. How long were you, how long has it been since the accident? Uh, That was, that was a decade ago. Decade ago. So as you look to be, when you stepped into being a dad, as you look to teach him lessons on your own, what's a lesson that you were able to teach him because you went through tragedy?
1: Oh, um, yeah, I, Not taking things for granted. Um, Always prepare for worst case, not best case. Uh, That's whether you're going to a picnic or to war. Um, Being prepared is a Boy Scout principle, but it works so well uh, in our lives. Be prepared for the worst. It's those considerations uh, that we make that allow for success when things change and when they go wrong. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just in a panic and it requires help that may not be available.
0: And the reason why I asked that question is because a lot of what I believe about PTSD is the, the growth that happens. And it's like you experience like 50 years of growth in 10 minutes often. And it's more growth than most people learn their entire life. And it's just all needs to be processed because it happens so quickly. But then like 10 years to 20 years after something's going to happen, something's going to come into your life and you're going to find a story, a piece of wisdom that you gained through that suffering that you went through. And then you're like, I wouldn't have had it any other way because I wouldn't have been able to do what I just did for that person without falling down and rising back up in the way that I did. I like it in almost all cases where you look at those tragedies, people that have had the hardest lives often find they live the most inspiring lives years down the road because of what they're able to reframe it as,
1: yep, yeah. yeah, that's a fact. Uh, and every time I start to feel bad about what's happened to me, I have lasting effects. You know, uh, definite detriments to my health and well-being, uh, and and um, the way I feel each day. I, I have I still suffer pain and discomfort, and and I get fatigued really easily. I lost half my intestines, uh, and that's a that has effects that people don't see, but that I feel. Uh, but every time I get down about it, I learn there's someone in far worse shape, far worse condition, and they've got a better attitude than me. Um, and my dad, <laughs> he always told me I had optical rectilitis. <laughs>
0: that's, that's a shitty outlook. <laughs> and you had half of it taken away. <laughs> All right. If there is a a dad out there listening to this episode and they're trying to figure out what's going on in their kid's head during this process of dad being angry, maybe dad trying to figure out who he is, what advice do you want them to know about how to lead their kids through a tragedy like this or whatever it may be that they're going through to help their kids understand what they're feeling or maybe just try to build empathy with what the kids may be feeling as well?
1: Uh, in, in terms of, of being a veteran of the military experience or in general?
0: I would say in general, but anything just like from that perspective of what you went through and then allowed you to to rebuild your relationship with your son because it could have had two outcomes. It could have probably exploded or you went inward and decided that I'm gonna step into my best dad version and figure out how to be a single dad and grow up with my my kid in my life.
1: I just say, and it's just my opinion, I, I just think the biggest barrier overall is communication. Um, we tend to speak to kids like they're kids, and we don't speak to them with all the potential they have. Uh, and we don't speak to them in the context of what they're going to become. And uh, we need to be more in the business of, of putting ourselves out of business and we need to plant the seeds in them that can grow. If we know so much, if we're so smart, we better be giving it away because if they don't wind up better than we are, it's our fault most of the time. Um, and so communicate, communicate to them with the understanding that I'm your parent and I have responsibility for you and I'm in charge. Um, as much as you can, can, be a friend to them and, and and show them, tell them why you're telling them. Because I, I want you to be better than me. I don't want you to make the same mistakes. Explain the decisions you're making to them. Explain the reasons you do what you do. And we don't take time to do that because we're too busy. But all they have is what we give them.
0: Mm-hmm. And so much of what we don't accept as dads that... When our kids were banned back to the basement after college, or we don't like who our kids are dating, we don't like who our daughter brings home for a boyfriend. Almost a lot of those cases are a reflection of how high we set the bar for ourselves. That oftentimes when you're pissed about choices your kids are making, you really got to start with the mirror before you actually focus on the kids. And it's going to suck when they start pointing out things that you did. And that's even like young kids, like my youngest is three. And I remember when my first was young, like kids are brilliant at finding that 5% of your personality that they can just push and push and push. I mean, you could be a 90% perfect person. They'll find that 10% and push. And like, that's really where they're going to expose your weakness. And that's the places where you need to do the most work. Like when you get triggered by a kid, that usually says more about you than it does about them.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's even more uh proof in this pudding we got to to confess our limitations to them when they tell you, but you did this. I'm not perfect and I have a tender life and at work. So I have to manage that. And I want you to also.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's pivot a little bit here. You speak on leadership, team dynamics, and resilience. Go ahead and unpack a little bit some of your favorite gems that you've taken from your military experience and you've brought into your speaking and what you try to help gift with people and words and feelings and help people empower their life forward.
1: Hug a turd. Hug a turd. Um, the, the one we... Th- think we can't stand is probably going to be the one that saves our butt in a crisis. And then all of a sudden, when something in it for us, when they save us, we're going to love them then. And we'll realize that there was greatness in them the whole time, but we never built a bridge. We never accepted. We stand in judgment of all others in negative light while we see ourselves as near, near perfect. And, uh, It's the person you think you don't like that will probably save you. So let's be a better team uh, by accepting that there's greatness in everybody.
0: You spoke to something there that was really near and dear to my heart. And one of my very first leadership kind of like uh, light bulbs. So in the Marine Corps, I had the opportunity to be a platoon sergeant for about three months. And I remember there was a lot of Marines. And I'm sure the same thing happens in the Army where you just give up on certain soldiers and Marines and they just get classified as bad eggs and they get picked on, they get made fun of, and they usually get, uh, more attention in a negative way. And I took it upon myself to really take those, those Marines and help pull the Marine out that I could see that they couldn't. And that was really something that I really loved. And I even continued to do it, like to see that potential and pull it out. Like that turd is what you just said, like focus on the people that need that potential, because if you can pull that out I mean, there, there's sometimes people just need the, uh, the right mirror in front of them to see their potential. And maybe there's so much conversation going on in their head that they can't see it. And they just need that right leader to help pull them out. And you can take someone from where they are to where they need to go. That's what, what fueled me as a leader in the Marine Corps. And now I enjoy doing the same thing for dads, reflecting back, what they can't see that potential, that inner strength that being a dad can bring out. It's the same thing that just because you feel like a turd doesn't mean you're going to be a turd forever. And you you can be someone else.
1: Right. Uh, that reminds me of Vince Lombardi and what made him such a great sports coach. Uh, he took some players that, that, that really wouldn't be the best, uh, but he, instead of getting rid of them, he actually tailored roles for people based on their capabilities. Instead of being a cookie cutter leader, uh, instead of trying to find the best thing and shoving them in that hole, Um, he really tailored the team to who was best at what. And he was atypical, sometimes unconventional, about the jobs and the roles that he would have players in based on their own capabilities that he had analyzed. And I think it's very important to recognize we don't always get to see what people are good at because we put expectations within their lane on them.
0: And I love how you brought the word expectations up because – expectation is one of those dangerous worries that no one really recognizes they're running around with like a chainsaw because expectations are just nonverbal agreements that you have with yourself and people can't live up to them. Like there's a reason why you feel like people aren't living up to your expectations because you've never converted the expectation to a verbal agreement with the person with words of this is how I expect you. And almost every time, whether it be marriage, whether it be a dad, whether it be at work, when you have an expectation Nine times out of 10, you've never verbalized it and you've just had it in your head. And it's being a dangerous element just to stay in your head.
1: I'm guilty with with my son. I I don't talk about what my expectations are. I don't communicate them. But I sure am quick to communicate my disappointment. And I need to knock that off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And especially when you're like the kids is a a beautiful example because it's like, you're, I'm 35 and they're eight, like they're still trying to figure out eight-year-olds, just like I'm trying to figure out 35. So when you assign adult-like expectations to someone without clearly communicating, going back to language of what that actually looks like, what are examples, how I show up in my life, or I love what I love about being in the military, and I'm sure you've got some amazing stories since being in 88 to 2011, is we have so many great stories of falling down being in diverse situations where the situation didn't work out. Kids thrive on that. Like there was a story that I was telling my oldest daughter that she was upset that kind of she feels like it's always her fault because she's the oldest. So like the expectations, again, using that word is higher on her and we've gotten better at communicating her and I have gotten better at it. And I used the example. I was like, and daddy wins a boot camp, like you're with 80 people and it didn't matter who messed up. All 80 people had to suffer And that I use that example and the curious thing happened. She wanted to know more. She probably asked like six follow-on questions about that story to try to understand more. And the best part of that story is we connected on a deeper level during that. She got to know more about me. And that's something that kids have an innate ability or not ability, but desire. And we often don't feed that desire to help them understand who dad was.
1: Yeah. And, and we all need to understand better that, that, Failure, um, and and back to that term, failure is not an option. I agree with that, but but I think my premise for it is different. I think failure is a constant. <laughs> as long as we're human, uh, you better get used to it, and it better be a part of your plans and your decision. And you better understand that 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 failure is the is the only thing we have to gauge how we can do anything better next time. So I'm not saying plan to fail. I'm just saying that when it happens, dig into it and figure it out so it doesn't happen again and let it become a positive experience instead of a negative one.
0: And if you think of even like people often idolize Hollywood and you often most people just measure our success by their success and like, oh, it must have been easy. Just they just woke up one day and were Jim Carrey a lot of those stories like are written with failure after failure, after failure, after failure, even Harry Potter. I mean, she wrote those, she pitched that book to 15 publishers before someone said, yes, it's a billion dollar franchise. Now, like that failure had to happen. She had to grow through it and she had to get used to it. And failure is something that I know in my life I didn't date well enough because I was always afraid of it and it was always a judgment, but failure is one of the best teachings that you can get. And if you're not failing fast, then you're really not growing fast. And if you're not growing fast, then you're kind of just stagnant and feeling like you're dying inside.
1: Yeah. The path of least resistance is not a, not, it's seldom a good one.
0: Yeah. When you think of resilience, what are some of the key words or things that you talk about with resilience and how, what you went through, how you show up as a dad. What are some of the wisdoms that you want dads to know about being resilient in the heat of a storm with their kids or their family, or really anything? Maybe even the heat of being resilient through the idea of divorce and your marriage?
1: Well, well I think I think uh, resilience to me is synonymous with preparedness and readiness. And and I think uh, being well founded in what we do and having standards that we aspire to maintain. Um, knowing why we're doing what we're doing allows us to better stay the course when it gets tough. If you can't answer those questions, if you didn't make a good decision, it's like joining the army for the college money. And the next thing you know, you're, you're off to war. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I signed up for the bonus.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, So it comes back to, to how we're making our decisions. What standards are we maintaining and are we prepared? So, how bad does it suck? Um, it is often a factor of how little we prepared.
0: Mm-hmm. I like when you translate that into business. What does that look like for like a, a regular person that has like a corporate job? How do you help people understand how to be resilient in the workplace?
1: Well, uh, in the workplace, I, I find that the human dynamics are the terrain. They're the most difficult to negotiate Um, out of anywhere that we have to go in life, anything we have to do. Most things are pretty easy if we didn't have to deal with somebody else. It's other person that, that make things hard. And, and most people don't quit a job because a monkey could do most jobs, right? We quit people. It gets tough because of a person, whether it's a boss or coworkers, we don't like the environment and the environment is created by people. Um, So honestly, learning to negotiate that terrain better. Um, Learn to see a better collective value in your team. Uh, Learn to see better value in each person. Uh, Have the awareness that that the reasons you don't understand another person is because you really haven't had an opportunity. To build that bridge yet? You haven't had enough access and placement in their life to understand why they are the way they are. But people are different than us. It comes down. It's just like diversity. Uh, I don't want to build a team um, with birds of a feather, people that are just like me, because what I know is small. What I don't know is infinite. I need people that help me prepare, plan, and deal. with with dynamic changes and problems, solutions that I can't come up with. And that's why I say it's going to be someone different than you that saves your butt because you don't know what you don't know.
0: Yeah, and you're also speaking to just the idea that those those people that you think you don't need are actually the vehicles to help you get what you do need. And what we don't often honor enough, even in a meeting, like even a corporate meeting, like you can sometimes feel the tension in a meeting and you can cut it with a knife. Often that tension is there because people aren't leading with empathy. They're leading with agendas. And those agendas can't build empathy. Empathy is one of those things that I'll never forget this, that uh, George Bush once said some advice that he always kept in the back of his head when he was dealing with Iran as president. And he said, I always sit at the table and I'm always consciously figuring out why the other person's sitting there before I ever even worry about what I want from this meeting or agenda or this compromise. I'm always trying to figure out what does that person's worldview look like? Because you have to treat it as they believe that what they're doing is 100% normal. Like that's the assumption you always have to lead with. It's not a matter of right and wrong. You assume that they believe they're acting as normal and you've got to understand their worldview of why they see it that way. Maybe it's childhood, maybe it's an issue at home, whatever it may be, that's how you can build empathy and that's how you can build that teamwork that allows you to, to build that framework to create an organization that can move what you need to get done. Right, and and, and we may never
1: fully gain that comprehension or that understanding of all the people we're dealing with, uh, but we have to believe in the best. And, and if you can't personally build that bridge, then professionally understand that you're all there to accomplish the same thing Uh, and, and that getting along, cooperating, communicating is good. And that they are part of the solution, not part of the problem. I mean, that person didn't wake up that day to
0: figure out how to ruin your life. They woke up with the best intentions of how they could come into work and complete the common mission. Absolutely. So,
1: so, and again, I'm guilty as charged. Uh, I've seen the enemy, uh, but it's me.
0: So I have absolutely loved this interview. We've talked about all different kinds of stuff. We've gone into some business advice. We've gone into some PTSD advice. We've come into just how to grow up through your own bullshit. That, it, this part of that interview that I really liked because we had to, to go into places that most people don't like talking about at dinner parties. And Greg, your story is something that I know is going to help many dads come back home and feel present with their kids again. What's a parting piece of advice that you want to leave with dads that if there's one gift wrapped piece of advice that you want to make sure dads take away, what is that piece of advice that you want dads to make sure they get to be the best fucking dad they can be?
1: Um, be nice. <laughs> be nice. And, and that's, that's with coworkers, teammates, uh, spouses, children. If you can be nice, it's very difficult. um, just like when you when you say your vows, getting married, you know, uh, it's a commitment. It's no longer an option whether or not you love them. You have to love them even when you don't feel like it. And it's hard to be nice or it's hard to love when you don't feel like it. But the strength to be able to do that uh, will help you and those around you overcome anything in life. So uh,
0: if you can be nice even when you don't feel like it, you're winning. That reminds me of some marriage advice that I've been working on applying in my own life. And you can't love your wife, your kids, or anybody and be right at the same time. Those two actions conflict each other. That if you're trying to argue to be right in that same moment, then you're honoring and saying that I don't love you for whatever answer you have. And it's always best to choose love over being right because love will conquer whatever you're facing. And being right in this moment actually means fucking nothing. But being love in that moment will move your life forward and keep that strength there. And whatever you're trying to be right about is probably bananas anyhow. It doesn't even matter. You're just probably trying to prove some ego inside your head that you're right. And but that doesn't honor the relationship or the commitment or any of that stuff. So you can't be love you can't love someone and be right at the same time. And I love that it's all wrapped into just be kind and do the right thing.
1: Yeah. And it can be just communication style, but whether it's one moment or a lifetime, being right can cause you to be alone.
0: Yeah, that you could be prove the world right that you are a piece of shit and you should be alone and you've gotten everything you've deserved in life, and this is how you this is where you ended up by always proving those questions and answers right at the same time. But there's a better world out there. There's the world that we've just talked about. There's a world of just coming home and embracing the love and kindness of your kids and just being dad and loving it and stepping into it and growing through whatever life gives you versus running from it, because that's where you really take those steps to physically and mentally come home to your kids and step into that best version of you as a dad and step into what we talk about a lot in our podcast, which is our legacy, and I repeat it a thousand times that our family is our legacy, and when we really step into that idea, everything else kind of falls into an alignment.
1: Yeah, and it's powerful. It's powerful to think that each one of us uh, can create that better life that better world around us we can
0: yeah and your kids are the best chance you have to change this world and if you give them everything you've got like there's no doubt that they'll go out into the world and try to change it because you've given them the confidence and courage and love to go out there and just be a courageous person and to go out there with some of the biggest dreams and then execute on them Yep, take the time to talk it out yeah, so Greg, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place to connect with you, or if people want to get to know you more?
1: Uh, my website is is a uh, dot uh, My book is called conquer to Building Your Um uh, and I'm available to do anything going forward if, if I can come to somebody's team, somebody's company. Uh, I love coming and sharing lessons learned from the battlefield for for better leadership, team dynamics, and resilience.
0: Well, I thank you for that. And I'll put all those links down in the show notes so people can catch on if they want to catch that book or they catch uh, Greg's website. I'll put that down there so you can follow him. Greg, I want to honor you as a friend that I'm just getting started with, but I'm a huge fan of being friends with everybody and leading with friendship. And I'm positive our friendship getting started, but it's leading to great places. Thank you, Ben. I feel the same. Wow. What a great episode. Some of the major takeaways for me on that episode were redefining who you are. When will you be happy? That was something I loved the conversation of how do you define at what circumstance you'll be happy, and are you not giving yourself permission to be happy right now? Because oftentimes, we set up so many circumstances, so many criteria for when we'll be happy that we don't accept that we can be happy right now, and we can have the power to move into our future right now. We just have to choose and recognize, you know what? I can do that today. We talked about the challenges of life and how that struggle is something we set ourselves up for failure, that when you're serving in Iraq and you're setting yourself up, life's going to be easier when we get home, and then it's not. And that failure and that disappointment is really something that we struggle with in going through that transition. We don't all speak the same language. I love this. This was a lesson that I learned way back in January about how I'm not communicating the definitions or using words that my daughter and my son and all my other younger daughter don't understand. So, making sure that you understand those definitions—that was super powerful for me. Growing more into yourself—that is something. If you've been following the podcast, that I have been doing more and more, and now having completed my seventy-five hard journey, I feel like I am on fire with that goal of growing more into myself. Living up to someone's self-image of someone else is that, like, are you trying to be yourself? Or are you trying to be who someone else thinks you to be? I know there are a lot of people out there that don't really realize there's a lot of core programming from their parents running, and a lot of that is. You trying to be someone that actually you're not. I know that one hit home for a few people out there. Focus on your capabilities. That's another one. When you're down on your luck, like when we talked about when you're feeling sorry for yourself, being able to focus on your capabilities, not what's holding you back. That is a good trick. And I haven't heard it explained like that. And I really loved how we brought it to like, no matter what you have going on, you still have capabilities and those capabilities can still do things. The fatherhood is leadership. That was something we talk about regularly in the podcast, that the the ability to lead your kids in life is the best training ground to be able to lead people at work. Because let's face it, your kids have free will, they don't follow directions, and you've got them to get them to do certain things. That's like work, but 10 times times 10. Because at work, people are adult, they're rational, and they'll generally go along with the flow. But man, that was something super important. And then we wrapped it up with resiliency. We talked about how resiliency is something that a lot of people don't even really dive into that word. But man, when you start diving into it and try to build a resilient mindset, it can really unlock a lot of that potential you see inside. And a lot of that just comes from the ability to say, you know what, I'm more than how I feel and I can move through it. And that's what also I learned through 75 Hard. You have to take action even though you don't want to. So guys, with that, I will wrap this episode up and put a bow on it, and I will talk to you guys again on Friday.